Unearthing Paranormalcy is part of the Green Mushroom Podcast Network. I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange Welcome to another episode of Unearthing Paranormalcy, the podcast that digs into the paranormal and tries to find normalcy in the topic. I am Amy. I'm Dave. And I'm Chad. And we just celebrated my birthday tonight. Because it's your birthday week and, and your birthday, birthday month. month. And tomorrow is my second birthday. <laughs> Amy's 74. <laughs> I uh, plan on going to a cemetery tomorrow, so. But for fun things. Because <laughs> it's always fun to go visit cemeteries and just look around, right? Totally. I'm doing it for homework, but. See, you become a mortician, you get finals, like, go to a cemetery and take pictures. <laughs> <laughs> Like, okay, this is totally my jam. <laughs> <laughs> well, before we get started on this week's episode, let's go ahead and hear a promo from one of the Green Mushroom Podcast Network shows. Hello, Strange Seeds. This is the Primordia Podcast, your source for strange. I'm your host, Britt. Join me semi-weekly as we pull off our flesh suits and dive into the primordial waters of the mystical and magical, the downright freaky, the strange and bizarre, unsettling synchronicities, and the truly terrifying. You'll leave each episode with a list of reading recommendations if you feel so inclined to research further the topics we discuss, which I encourage you to do. Connect with a growing community of eclectic minds who strive to leave a more positive, compassionate imprint on this weird world we live in. So dive on in with us, and don't be scared. The water's fine. Gotta love Brit. Gotta love her show. Go listen. It is awesome. Bananas. I don't know. I'm weird. I had cake. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's your birthday. It's my birthday. All right. So, we are going to hop in the flying machine and go to that island that is a continent. And that continent is an island and it is named Australia for this episode. Mm. We got a lot of Australian listeners. So, this one's for you. And thank you all for listening. In parts of Queensland's Australia, there is an entity called Quinkin. 
that is reported to live in the outback. This creature has its roots in indigenous Australian oral history. In other parts of Australia, this creature is known as Jindarang, Yorawara, Mingawan, Pudikin, Dulaga, Gulaga, Thuogal, Yoroma, Nukuna, Wawi, Pankariangu, Yimbra, Tanjara, Yahoo, and Yowie. Yahoo! They are common in indigenous Australian legends, particularly in the eastern Australian states. They are also featured in Quinkin Rock art, which refers to a large body of locally, nationally, and internationally significant indigenous Australian rock art characterized by their unique representations of spirit people known as Quinkin. Depicted on rock paintings in Queensland, particularly around Laura. The Quinkin is a nocturnal giant reported from Cape York, Queensland, that raids camps, towers above trees, lives in rock crevices, and underground. Since we are focusing exclusively on the Quinkin, we will only be covering sightings and folklore from Queensland, Australia. And even though we may use the term Quinkin and the more common Yowie interchangeably. Yowie is the Aussie version of Bigfoot or Yeti. The origin of the word Yowie to describe unidentified Australian hominids is unclear. The oldest record I saw was its use in 1875 among the Camaloroi people, documented in Reverend William Rinley's Calamori and other Australian languages. I can't be saying that right. Kamala Roy? I don't know. Australian listeners, please help us out. Yeah. I know it's not Calamari. <laughs> but modern writers suggest it arose through legends of the Yahoo, which, if memory serves, a few North Americans described the, a Bigfoot-type creature as a Yahoo in the 1700s. Do you remember that on I our do. Bigfoot Grognostics episode? But Robert Holden recounts several stories that support this name being used, including this entry from 1842. The natives of Australia believe in the Yahoo. This being they describe as resembling a man of nearly the same height, with long white hair hanging down from the head o- over the features. The arms are extraordinarily long, furnished at the extremities with great talons, and the feet turned backwards, so that, on flying from man, the imprint of the foot appears as if the being had traveled in the opposite direction. Altogether, they describe it as a hideous monster of unearthly character and ape-like appearance. So it's got, like, backwards feet? Like an ad at? (laughs) Well, most four-legged creatures do. You ever see a dog walking around on two legs? Their feet are normal. They don't backwards. They don't got like knees and stuff. Their knees are on the back of their leg. Well, they're saying his feet are backwards. His feet are backwards, so it looks like it's traveling in the opposite direction that it's actually traveling in. 
Oh. That's got to be hard to balance. Yeah. yeah that's you, the whole most... reason our feet are the way that they are, is so that we don't fall forward. <laughs> but I guess if your body was built... To... I think you'd get used to it. Yeah, I don't know. Just be leaning back as you walk. I could have found out, but I didn't have my foot cut off. <laughs> Though Quiggins were spiritual beings of indigenous northern Australian mythology, and the term can be used to encompass a whole variety of spirits in the books by Percy Trezise, illustrated by Dick Ruffsey. Dick <laughs> Ruffsey. There are three distinct types. His Dick's Ruffsey. The Tamara are the tall, stick figure like ones, and were considered good, and were able to hide in cracks in the rock. They would mostly use this stealth ability to play pranks on people, poking them in the ribs from their hiding spot. <laughs> I got you. I got you. <laughs> oh, motherfucker. <clears throat> this ties into my flat Bigfoot theory. They just turn sideways and they disappear. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The M-Jim are the small fat ones and were considered the bad guys. They bounced on their tails and kidnapped children, sometimes to eat, and sometimes to turn them into more imjum. Tiggers are wonderful things. The most wonderful thing about Tiggers is I'm the only one. Bouncy, I'm an imjum. Bouncy, 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 bouncy. <laughs> <laughs> and according to legends, the Tamara protected Meili and Nagali, the kids, as the imjum tried to eat them. Most of the time, these encounters resulted in a big fight. The third type wasn't so much a type as it was a single individual, a hairy giant named Turamali, towering above the trees and was feared by both the Imjims and the Tamara, as he would, from time to time, devour them. Uh, Turamali made a distinct wonk-wonk-wonk sound as he walked, which served in the story as an omen of his impending appearance. Oh no! Hide! <laughs> Sounds like he was a pig. Sounds like Pac-Man. Deep in the Australian outback of Queensland lies a set of caves emboldened paintings and engravings that depict the Quinkin. In these paintings, they are abstract figures that have a vaguely humanoid shape, stretched and elongated to unnatural proportions. So like Slender Man. Mm -hmm. The area this artwork is found is aptly known as Quinkin Country. The oldest of the artwork is estimated to be anywhere from 15,000 to 30,000 years old. It also details different laws, cultural, and spiritual practices of the indigenous Australian people. The exact purpose of the Quinkin in this artwork remains a mystery. The figures are depicted among gatherings of humans or animals, and the most common explanation among archaeologists is that the term Quinkin is a bastardization of the phrase Guenkin, which comes from the Kuku Yalongi language. Guengen, when translated, represents the concept of a spirit that inhabits the plane of existence known as the dream time or the dreaming. 
Some interpretations are they that could be distant ancestors or figures and spirits that were never in this world and only inhabit the dream time. Some Freddy Krueger shit there. <laughs> it was the before time and the long, long ago. I, <laughs> I have a mythology book. I couldn't find it, but it details a lot of this. Uh, as far as what? As individual spiritual entities, the Quinkin are postulated to embody the trickster spirits that interfere with humanity. This idea could be explanation for why Quinkins are depicted in situations interacting with humans and nature. Thus, they could have served as a stand-in for various acts of nature that were not easy to depict. A popular theory among modern-day Australian citizens is that the Quinkin are depictions of Yowie. The Yowie is a figure that was passed down through the oral tradition of the Australian indigenous people so it could have just became conflated with the Quinkin over the centuries. The Gunanda stories have tales which depict the Yowie or Quinkin as rival tribes that lived in conflict and were the original inhabitants of the continent. The stories focus predominantly on the Gueta and other human groups fending off the thieving Quinkin tribes always escaping as they were faster at running away from defenders giving them chase. As European colonization began to ravage Australia, forcing the indigenous people into their own sections of the country, reports of Yowie sightings from Europeans began to be written. Some of these go back to the 1700s, but they became popularized in the mid-1870s, partly due to publications of the encounters, in the Australian Town and Country Journal. The 1870s Palmer River Gold Rush brought a massive influx of European and Chinese miners into Quinkin Country, thousands of which traversed between the gold fields and the port located in Cooktown. Despite violent clashes taking place between the miners and the indigenous Australian people, and the attempt to control the original inhabitants of this land through governmental policy, a highly significant connection to country and culture by the indigenous people's descendants has persevered. Even though we may never have an exact answer to the Quinkins' origins or a definitive explanation to what they represent, they are a very important part of the mythology and culture and we can try our best to preserve and celebrate the legacy and mystery of the indigenous people's depictions of the dream time. Before we get a little more into folklore, let's talk about the efforts already made to preserve the Quinkin rock art that dates back 15,000 to 30,000 years. The majority of Quinkin rock art is located around the small town of Laura in Queensland, the Australian Heritage Commission's 1980 entry on the register of this national estate describes the Quinkin rock art as being located across 230,000 hectares of rugged sandstone plateau and escarpments 4 kilometers southeast of Laura and 50 kilometers west of Cooktown. The Australian Heritage Commission entry describes Quinkin rock art as, quote, some of the largest bodies of prehistoric art in the world. 
The paintings are generally large and well-preserved. The engravings of great antiquity occur. The Quincan art is outstanding both in variety, quantity, and quality. Unquote. Some of these sites are open for the public to visit through guided tours organized by the Quincan Regional Cultural Center. Split Rock, which is approximately 15 kilometers south of Laura, is currently open to self-guided visitors for a small fee. The Quincan Reserves are closed to public access. The rock art itself includes paintings, stencilings, and engravings, generally in a figurative style depicting people, animals, and their tracks. Mythical creatures appear in one or two different colors. Red ochre dominates, but white, yellow, black, and a rare blue pigment also exist. Cultural heritage of the Quinkin region includes story places, campsites, and other evidence of the indigenous Australians' long occupation history. All right. The Yowie existed long before someone came along and wrote it down. And when Europeans began settling Australia, the indigenous people warned them about the Yowie. When compared to other ape-like cryptids, with the exception of the devil monkey, Yowie are aggressive, reported to rip the heads off of dogs and kangaroos. Generally, they are hunters and opportunists, ferocious beasts that could easily rip a person apart. But some reported encounters claim they are capable of speaking Latin, can set and employ traps and other tools and tactics to hunt prey. I believe this is just more proof that everything in Australia is trying to kill you. <laughs> <laughs> Yowies are usually described as a hairy ape-like creature standing between 2.1 meters and 3.6 meters. That's between 6 foot 11 inches and 12 feet. Thank you for describing or doing that because I was sitting here trying to picture in my head a meter stick and how tall two meter sticks on top of each other was. <laughs> <laughs> because for some reason, three feet was not calculating them in my head. You mean 3.6 meters? Well, you said 2.1 and then 3.6. Yeah. There's three feet, approximately three feet in a meter. So I was trying to do the math in my head and it wasn't working. So <laughs> oh. I was just trying to picture the meter sticks in my head. We used the freedom measurements here. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, hmm, how many possums is that stacked on top of each other? How many football fields? <laughs> Americans will use anything with the metrics. <laughs> that is 27 coke cans tall. <laughs> That's 37 raccoon dicks wide. <laughs> but damn it, we're not going to use meters. <laughs> America. <laughs> Ain't nobody got time for that. <laughs> it's such an easier system. And I don't know why we won't switch to it. But god damn it, we won't. I actually understand it better, but I also have a military pass, so <laughs> even our military uses metric, but the government's like, nope, no one else can. The people are too stupid, they're not gonna get it. <laughs> The conversion would, it would probably, it's probably it. It probably terrifies the older generations to think about having to learn a new system. <laughs> I understand. It's hard to learn new things. It would take me a while. But I learned it in school. I mean, eventually a refresher, I'd probably get it back. 
don't know. That's my hope for this biology class I'm starting in a couple of weeks. That <laughs> <laughs> high school biology will come back to me. <laughs> so Yowie can be just as equally shy when encountering people preferring to hide or attack them to partake in the succulent flavor of human flesh. Yowie, mm. Yowie feet are inconsistent in shape and toe number, but are much larger than a human. They may have a form of death rituals or practices, as corpses have never been found. You know, that's actually been a thought of mine for a long time. With big five, big five, big feet, big foots, big foe. Um, mm-hmm. Is that if they are that humanoid, if they have any kind of ritual to bury their dead? Yeah. Because now somebody was telling me at dinner that recently they found evidence of. Homo erectus, I believe. It was that Chad was. that was saying yeah. that, yeah. I can't remember exactly what the name for them are, but it was fu- like their human ancestors, like 500,000 years before Homo sapien, that they have found a cave that they found so far, like around like 250 or more. Buried bodies, like with like caskets, almost like not actual caskets, but in oval-shaped containers, buried. Yeah. In. That makes a lot of sense because that's how we started disposing of our dead was in cave systems and yeah, you know, catacombs, catacombs and things it's, like that. It's a documentary. A documentary on Netflix. I started watching it today. I've only made like thirty minutes inside. Inside, but it's it's really cool. It's really interesting. I I'm interested in the archaeology stuff yeah. and stuff like that. But yeah, I am too. Shoot, I remember when they found that underground complex. I think it was in Turkey. They just like stumbled upon it. Like somebody was digging out a basement and then like went into this place that was like hundreds of thousands of square feet of like dugout like cave systems were. All kinds of artifacts from a civilization that lived there underground for a long period of time. The reptilians. I don't know about all that. <laughs> I mean, they have evidence it was people. But it was a people that they never knew existed in the area. Yeah. Because the only thing they ever left behind was in this massive dugout cave system. I mean, it, it's totally possible that that happened i mean we read that story many many years ago about the green children yeah and they were thought to have come from an underground society oh sure yeah so yeah or another dimension dun, dun, dun. oh and the yaoi's nose is described as white and flat like a monkey yeah. or a gorilla yeah All right, now we get to the sightings. I see it. These are sightings I found on com, which features eyewitness reports all across Australia. But since our episode is focused around Quinkin, I decided to only dig into the encounters that took place in Queensland. And due to the high number of them, I also only included ones that took place from... 2013 to our current year of 2023. So just like our Bigfoot, everybody's seeing them. 
Oh yeah. Nice. That adds a lot of credibility to a K- to a cryptid is when you have now, so many different sightings. The listeners won't be able to see this, but every one of these sightings has a map with it, and you can see how close together a lot of them are. But let's begin with our first one. In the evening of July 2014, Romney and his girlfriend Katrina had stopped their camper van and set up camp for the night by the roadside in the T-Bar region of Wide Bay, Queensland. As they lay in their bed, their night was disrupted by what they believed was a yowie outside of their van, causing them to flee in fright. T-Bar is a locality in the Fraser Coast region, Queensland. In a recent census, T-Bar had a population of 43 people. Yowie activity has been reported throughout T-Bar and the surrounding districts for many years. Our blog has eyewitness Yowie sighting reports from this region. Here is what Romney had to say. Quote, My girlfriend Katrina and I left Brisbane. Australian. I can't do an Australian accent, so fuck off. (laughs) My girlfriend Katrina and I had left Brisbane in our camper van and traveled north along the Bruce Highway. We had just passed through Gympie and decided to turn onto the Wide Bay Highway and hoping to make it to the town of Genda by nightfall where some of Katrina's family lived. (laughs) Wait, time out. There's no way these towns are called Gympie and Gaida. (laughs) That's insane. I wasn't familiar at all with this area, and Katrina suggested we turn off at the Wooliga (laughs) and head for the town of Bigenden to save a little time. I had been traveling along the Browina Wooligu Road, and I was getting really tired, so we decided to pull over a while while... and we still had some light, make some dinner, and head off again early in the morning. We parked on the side of the road near the watering hole with light bush and plenty of open pastures around us, which was an unaffected grazing area for cattle. I'm just going to, if this was Oklahoma, that would be Wooliga, would be how that would be said. Wooliga Road. And it might be. <laughs> but it's not Oklahoma. <laughs> well, it's spelled just like Uliga. So. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But with a W in front. The sun is, has, was beginning to set, and while we still had enough light, we decided to have a walk around the area in the beautiful evening light. We had been walking around the far end of the water hole when came aware of what we thought was a long howling noise off in the distance. I said to Katrina, hear that? And she said, yeah, <laughs> sounds like a big cow. We couldn't see any cows where we pulled up, and there were plenty of cow paths laying around indicating they were around. Walking around a little farther from the dam, and we heard some more howling off in the distance. Oh, oh, oh. I was struck at how full the sound was, even though it seemed a far distance away. The strange thing was howling and would last many seconds, and I remember commenting to Katrina that the cow must have been have a big set of lungs to howl for that long. The howls went on another ten or so minutes, 
and with life following, we decided to get back to the camper and make some dinner. We opted to cook on our portable barbecue and sit out under the stars and enjoy dinner. It was a beautiful, gorgeous... That's some daddy no words there. beautiful there, there at all. <laughs> <laughs> it was a gorgeous night. And when we had finished dinner, we turned off our light to take in the brilliant starry sky above. It was so quiet and peaceful. This all changed once we turned turned in for the night. It was about 2 a.m. and I, I awoke as Katrina was nudging me to wake up. She said she could hear someone talking nearby and to listen. At first, I didn't hear a thing. Just as I relaxed back into my pillow, I could hear talking, but I couldn't quite make out what was being said. I became a little alarmed at this as we were very long way away from any farms on a remote road. And I asked myself, who would be out there at this time of night? The chatter stopped and five or ten minutes passed by and we both began to relax a little. I had dozed off and woke us suddenly when the van shook as if a car had bumped into it. Katrina rolled over and grabbed my arm tightly. What was that? she asked. And just as I began to whisper to stay quiet, to, to stay quiet, we heard our camp table and barbecue crashing to the ground. And at this stage, we began hearing strange vocalizations. The vocalizations scared the crap out of us. The vocalizations would start with a strange monkey-like sound, but they end with grunting like it sounded like a human. Next, we heard a very loud sound crash, loud crashing noise and our esky being smashed. It was an incredible noise, and the thuds combined with more frantic vocalization. At this point, Katrina rolled over to hug me, and the bag she had left on the end of the bed fell onto the floor. The ruckus and grunting outside stopped suddenly, and when this happened, my heart was thumping with fear. I began to sweat profusely, and I could hear Katrina breathing swiftly. We were so fearful of what was outside, and I thought I left the door unlocked, and we were going to be attacked. I whispered quietly that the doors were unlocked, but fortunately, Katrina said she locked them. We lay in our van holding each other, and racked with fear, we began to hear footsteps around the van. They were heavy steps. It would stop and all would be quiet. We heard some more steps and at this time they were around the back of the van where we were laying. We had the blind down on the back window but I got a sense of something close to the window and it totally blocked the, blocked the dim light. I was frantic at this stage. And my mind had been racing, thinking where I left the keys and could I get to the front of the van and start the engine without being attacked. It was at this stage we could hear a vehicle off in the distance. Whatever was outside began to move away and the big footsteps or stomps gradually disappeared. We could hear the vehicle approaching our location and I jumped up and sw moved swiftly to the driver's seat where I found my keys and cranked over the engine, hit the lights and spun around 
onto the road to follow the passing vehicle. Katrina was beside me now, and we both caught a glimpse of the destruction of our gear where we had been pulled over. We drove without a word until we finally arrived at Biggenden and pulled into the well-lit and deserted Main Street and decided to wait till daybreak before traveling to Canada. We were stunned at what had just occurred and had no idea what could have scared us and it wasn't until we shared the story a few times that someone suggested a yowie. I was gobsmacked as I had no idea anything like this existed. That actually sounds very familiar to the story that introduced us to the Quinkin, which was that story that we read for one of the booyals or... Uh, oh, yeah. Listener story. Yeah. So I'm looking at these pictures, and I don't know if you saw them, but a lot of these look like they could have been taken in Oklahoma. Yeah. It's like a bit of prairie land with some sparse trees and some creeks and whatnot. It just it reminds me a lot of that story because that's kind of what happened to him. He was out camping and yeah. heard it and then freaked out and just shot out of there. Yeah. Am I the only one that thinks maybe these animals were fucking? They're like making a ruckus and they kept making grunting sounds. <laughs> and then it they sounds... made some noise and all of a sudden they were like <gasps> and they got real quiet sounded to me more like primate uh, primate behavior when they find something yeah checking it out you know uh, okay I don't know they could have been fucking you want some old barbecue babe <laughs> threw a little more yowie on the bobby my Australian accent's horrible. <laughs> All right. At daybreak in October 2018, Josh and Robert were fishing from their boat in the Burham River west of Howard, Queensland, and watched in awe as a Yowie swam across the narrow tributary they had anchored in. The Burham River is located in the Wide Bay region of Queensland and stretches approximately 31 kilometers from its source at Lake Lindhall to Burham Heads on the coast. The source region of Lake Lindhall, which also has the Wongi waterholes, is a known location for Yowie sightings, which have been reported from the region for many years. The Burham River also flows to the township of Howard, which has also had reports of Yowie animals. This is the encounter report as told by Josh. I often go up to Howard to visit my friend Robert, who has a great place beside the Burham River, and do some fishing. This particular morning, we had launched our tinny in the dark just before dawn and headed up to our favorite spot to fish and watch the sun come up. We had positioned our boat fairly close to the bank and dropped anchor, set our fishing lines, Settled back to watch the sun rise over the river in front of us. It was about 20 minutes or so after we set anchor and we were watching a beautiful early morning glow down the river as sunrise approached when we heard a large splash behind us to our right. 
We both turned, thinking a tree had fallen into the water, and were amazed to see what we thought was someone swimming across the river. Robert said to me, There is someone swimming across the river. And we watched as we could make out a head and shoulders bobbing up and down. It made its way through the water about 70 70 to 80 meters away. The bobbing motion looked weird and not like anything you would expect to see from someone swimming in the river. Neither of us uttered a word. At this stage, we were trying to comprehend who would be swimming in the river at this time of the early morning, and in this remote part of the river, and across the densely wooded and small island in the river. I knew there were several rural properties along the river, but you wouldn't swim here, as the river's edge is quite rugged. We both turned fully around by this stage, and continued to watch the swimmer make his way across the river in a slow, bobbing way. But at no stage did we see any splash from the arms. The swimmer reached the other side of the river, and I was completely astonished when the swimmer climbed into the bank. Robert said exactly what I was thinking. What the fuck is that? We were watching a huge black figure climb from the river onto the bank, standing upright and still for about 20 seconds as we as if to get its bearing and then disappear into the dense brush we could see the incredible size and mass of this creature with a short stumpy head which we could only see from side on we looked at each other gobsmacked and looked back to where the creature had come out of the water we could hear her walking through the shrub, the scrub. We thought the creature was going to cross the small island and continued across the river to the other side. So we quickly pulled our lines, pulled anchor, and began to motor around the island to where we thought the creature would emerge. We went back and forth along the entire length of the island, but never spotted the creature. We finally decided to head back and contemplate what we had seen. It was an incredible experience. Am I the only one thinking, isn't there like crocodiles and alligators and stuff like that? They're all that wants to kill you in that river. (laughs) All these rivers? It's it's Australia. Everything wants to kill you. (laughs) So you think that it was swimming or was it just walking? Shit, could have been walking. So the way they described it, kind of like bobbing way, it seemed like it was just kind of walking through. Walking through the water. Now, that is something I've heard about humans. Like, the way humans walk, they their head bobs up and down, but the way primates walk, it doesn't. Mm-hmm. It, like, stays completely level. And that's I saw that this s- on something about, like, the Patterson they film. They say they or, discovered that on the Patterson film, that that's how that Bigfoot walked, is it didn't bob like a human. Yeah. It stayed steady. Which you can do that same effect as a human by just not straightening your legs. You just keep your knees bent as you walk. Yeah. We bob and weave, bob and weave, bob and weave. <laughs> but yeah, it could have been because it was walking. I mean, he says if the river's edge was rugged, the whole mm-hmm. river probably is. It probably has a lot of yeah. like big rocks and stuff in the bottom. Yeah. So if it isn't 
going up and down because of that. Maybe it's going up and down because of the terrain at the bottom. Very possible. They never said really how big it was other than just incredible. Yeah. So, and I mean, it is hard to judge that in nature. It's really hard to judge in nature and at a distance. Yeah. Because they were, what do they say? Because if you got something to compare it to, like... 70 to 80 meters? Like, it was twice as big as... It was twice as wide as the tree it walked by or something like that. Then you have something to go off of. Because then you can measure the tree, but... Yeah. So they're, like, what? 200 and something miles. um, 200 and something feet away from it. Which is not that far. So you're thinking... Just around going to American measurements here, mm-hmm. just under a football field length. Yeah, I mean, you're looking at just under 80 yards, and, and say, under 65 to 75 yards. Yeah, hmm. <clears throat> so I mean, that's that is a distance, and it's hard to judge size at that distance, but it's not super far at the same time. Yeah. All right, this next one takes place in March 2019. A bow hunter searching for wild pigs near the town of Kilkevin, Queensland, is confronted by a charging yowie. The yowie encounter below is from Clint Maynard, who provides the chilling account he had with a yowie in a life-or-death situation. Australian hunters rarely find themselves in. Here is his story as he presented it to us. And not us, but YahwehSightings.com. Yes. It was early in the morning, and I had been hiking through the bush since just before sunrise hunting wild pigs. It was a brisk morning, but beautiful and clear. And it was about an hour or so into my hunt looking for pig tracks when I caught a glimpse of several pigs way ahead of me and too far to get a shot on them. I was pretty sure... They hadn't seen or heard me, so I moved quickly about 50 or so meters closer and settled behind some low bushes and began searching the bush and clearing ahead with my binoculars looking for the pigs. I was getting a slight wafting sour smell, which I assumed was an animal excrement, but it didn't quite smell right to be this, and I thought maybe there was a dead carcass nearby. I made a slow pan from my left to right, searching for movement, and as I panned back, the bush closer to me, which was out of focus, looked different. Something was missing. I thought I had scanned past a tree stump and some bushes that partially blocked my view through to where I was looking for the pigs. The tree stump was missing. I focused on the bushes, and I was getting a strong sense that something was there. As I scanned back to the right of the bushes, I instantly became alarmed, and a real sense of terror set in. In the dappled sunlight, I realized I was looking at a very dark, hairy-headed, hairy head and face of an extremely large creature in a crouching position, looking directly at me. What really got me anxious was the eyes and look on its face. Its eyes looked human, and its intense stare shook me. Its face looked dark and, I would say, leathery, and it was baring its teeth, exposing a huge mouth. 
I knew it wasn't human, but the intelligence in its eyes shocked me. It blended in so well with the very dark brown, almost black, shaggy hair. I didn't realize, didn't realize it. It must have been in front of me the whole time. I had been looking towards where I had seen the pigs. The creature was in a crouching position, and its slowly rocking motion from side to side looked like it was ready to jump in my direction. It's coming right for us! <laughs> no, shit! I started to hear a very low-level growl, which I knew was this creature, even though it was about 60 or so meters away. I became so scared at this point, I dropped my binoculars and frantically loaded up my bow. I knew I couldn't outrun this creature. It looked so massive and made me look so small, and I'm six foot three. I fumbled so quickly to get my bow loaded, and as I looked back at the creature to take aim, it released an almighty roar and launched itself forward and at a speed toward me on its two thick legs, mouth wide open, and looking so incredibly frightening. I could see all of its shape now, its long arms tearing and grasping at the bushes and the thickest body as it stampeded towards me in a huge, big thumping steps. As it tore through the scrub, I couldn't believe how big this creature was and it was bigger than any human I'd ever seen. And its cock was so huge. Oh my God. It's coming right for us. <laughs> I got to about 30, it got about 30 meters from me when I got a shot away in sheer terror. With minimal aim, the arrows stuck in the creature deep into its right shoulder, and it instantly stopped, grimacing and clutching at the arrow, and releasing an extremely loud lion-like growling sound that drowned out any other noise in the bush. <laughs> Sounds like he fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> and this was the moment I knew I fucked up. <laughs> I was almost hysterical with fear, and my heart was obviously absolutely racing. I had never heard anything so loud and terrifying, so loud that I could feel it. As be I began moving as quickly backward as I could, the creature, the creature had taken its attention off of me, and I stumbled backwards as I, I watched it snap the protruding arrow within its opposite hand as it kept fiercely pawing at its shoulder. And making deep grunting sounds. Oh, I feel bad for it. <laughs> In a second, it looked back at me with such a fierce look and grimace that I thought it thought this was it. I knew a headshot would be the only thing that would save me from sure death. As I struggled to load up and aim, the creature let out another incredible growl, turned and ran furiously into the trees off to my right. And big thumping steps. Fine, I didn't want to play with you anyway. <laughs> I was just coming to talk to you about your car's extended warranty. <laughs> I knew that if the creature came back, I wouldn't make it to my vehicle. And I was relieved a little when I finally made it back into some open country in the small valley I used to get into the area. I eventually made it back to my vehicle, bathed in sweat, and gasping for water. And without any further encounter, I didn't wait for a second, climbed into my vehicle and sped away from the area. I was still filled with so much dread as I drove back along the dirt road, half expecting the creature to reappear. With all the fright of the charging creature, I dropped my binoculars 
and left a small backpack behind. I won't ever be going back to retrieve them. So, so you hear that? There's a free backpack out there for somebody. <laughs> Man, that is wild. Because, like, I was saying with this, like, some of them are very aggressive. And then some of them are, like, really, like, meek and just curious. I kind of got from this story that the Bigfoot was with his herd of, cat, or his herd of pigs. pigs. And he saw somebody coming up to mess with his pigs. Oh. And he's like, fuck no, these are my pigs. And the last, and one of the last ones we did, they were hanging out around cows. Yeah, are they just herdsmen? Maybe is this part of something they do. It's not unheard of. Like ants will herd around. Um, oh, uh, aphids and stuff. I like mean, cattle. if they're as intelligent as people think they are, it would not make it would not be out of the realm of possibility that they do. In some way, have some have some concept kind of, of animal husbandry yeah. or something. Very possible. Yeah. And especially and if, like, in this one area, they seem to just all hang out there. If if that's the case, then it would even make more sense that they would have like their own kind of s- set of meat that they ate. Yeah. Or it could be something they follow the pigs around because the pigs are good at rooting up like yeah. stuff, or they're good at finding. They were going for truffles. They're they're good at finding carcasses or something. Yeah. Where, uh, I mean, that was kind of the same reason we started, like hanging out with the wolf and stuff. Yeah, was because well, we still use pigs when we hunt for truffle mushrooms and all that yeah. stuff. So I mean, it could very well be that they're waiting for the pig to find the the good stuff. Yeah, or maybe the pigs provide enough, like, noise, because pigs are noisy as shit, especially wild pigs. Maybe they provide enough noise that they think it helps them not be discovered. Maybe. When they're doing their grunting and their howling, people are like, oh, it's just pigs screaming. Yeah. I know, it's an interesting concept, though, of a farming or ranching Bigfoot colony yeah and i mean it doesn't necessarily even need to be ranching it could just be something they learned over time like there's a a symbiotic relationship between the two is what i'm going for well that happens in nature all the time you know you've got the birds that ride on the backs of the elephants because they eat the ticks and the elephants like it because it gets rid of the itchy ticks and you know it's just kind of a or the cranes that like pick stuff out of like alligators' teeth and they yeah. just hold their mouth open for them. Yeah. Don't try to eat them or anything. Makes sense. Yeah. They could just be friends. All right. The article goes on. An incredible report from Clint. He explained to us that he had struggled to come to terms with the life and death situation he survived, and he has suffered extreme anxiety and nightmares ever since the incident. Clint has never spoken about this incident to anyone other than his wife, who was responsible for encouraging him to speak to us. We greatly applaud his courage in both surviving the incident and in coming forward. Incidentally, this is not the first report we have received of the charging behavior. There have been quite a few accounts of bluff charging, which appears to be more of a warning than an attack. 
In this case, Clint was adamant that if he had not shot the creature, he would have been attacked. The Yowie appears to be much more emboldened when encountered by a single person and far less with two or more people. We strongly advise people looking for these creatures to do so in small groups for safety reasons. Well, we always have to have a non-German with us anyway just to make sure that we uh, don't go missing. We have to travel in at least pairs. (laughs) So what I'm kind of gathering from, from, because we got like seven or eight more to go. Yeah. That all took place within the past three years. So either these are being cited in like record numbers or people aren't scared and coming forward and sharing them. I think it may be a little bit of both. Yeah. I mean, you got to think because this next story is from 2020. Because we were all locked up inside. Across the globe. I can see how as you know, that basic whole year, there were less humans out in the wilderness, in theories, in in, in places, that these creatures started getting a little bit braver. Yeah. You know, there actually have been, in the past year, there have been some new discoveries of different animals that they didn't know existed. Uh, in, In Australia, there's a new snake that they discovered that, uh, they didn't even know existed. So what's to say that us being isolated in our homes and all that stuff for weeks, months, and years didn't allow these creatures the opportunity to come. Giggity. <laughs> to came a lot. To, to venture further than they would normally further venture because of humans. Yeah, yeah, to expand their territories and things. Yeah. I could see that. I know that actually the town just north of us here more this year also, they're having a huge problem with coyotes in town. Oh, yeah, yeah. And And black bears have been migrating from south to north. And and cougars have been migrating from, let me get my directions right, west to east. Yeah. So I, there's got to be something to that in the sense that we we backed off and they came out. Yeah. You know? You heard it from Dave. Hot single cougars in your area. <laughs> That's right. If you're around Lake Thunderbird, be on the lookout for cougars. Or pumas or panthers or whatever you call them where you're at. That's the... That's the big cat that has like the Guinness World Record of common names. There's Mountain like, lions, like thirty-one of them, I think. Mountain lions, panthers, cougars, uh, bunch of just local yeah. names. They're called cougars around here. Air mountain lions. Yeah, which we don't have mountains. So. We barely have hills. <laughs> it's the hill lion. <laughs> In September 2020, three motorcyclists, Ian, a veterinarian, Michael and David, both ex-military, so veterans. So a veterinarian and two veterans, two veterans, <laughs> but no vegetarians. I really read that as a vegetarian at first, and I'm like, I what did does too. that have to do with it? 
Oh, he he just lets you know. Uh, okay, so they're on a tour through the Burnett and Fraser Coast region of Queensland, and they flee from their campsite in the Merodian district after encountering two Yowies. The Merodian district is a sparsely populated rural region of the Fraser Coast. The area and neighboring districts have a history of reported Yowie sightings. And this is their story as told by Ian. I had been planning to do a motorcycle trip across India when my two best mates had retired from the military. We had got to the stage of having our bikes all kitted out and we were in the process of organizing their transportation to India when the COVID crisis hit and lockdown international travel Boo. we were so disappointed that our plans had been dashed david came up with a plan to do a mini tour somewhere in queensland which we all jumped on board with and decided on route on a route through the brunette region and back to brisbane we had reached the township of biggingdon In the mid-afternoon, and after a short break, we decided to travel on and find a place to camp for the night. And we found a nice location beside a small creek on the Browina-Wulga Road, where we set up tents. Once we had our tents set up, we had a look around, and it was a great spot to camp, with big mature gum trees towering over the fairly clear area of grazing land for cattle, which was bordered on one side by a bushy creek. We found a trail to a causeway across the creek, which was basically dry except for a few small ponds of water. We became aware of a really foul smell, which I thought was the odor from a dead animal. But I wasn't quite right. I work as a veterinarian, and and I've smelled all sorts of dead animals. And this was different somehow. He must not be a very good veterinarian if he smells all that dead animals. <laughs> Sorry. But it didn't give me a second thought. We walked back across the causeway to our tent and made, up, and made some dinner on a portable stove. It was quite cool as the darkness fell and we sat around for several hours chatting while we ate dinner. Which was some tin braised steak and onions and bread. We all turned in for the night about 10 p.m., planning to leave at daybreak. I awoke suddenly at one point and could hear some movement around the tents. Fat, 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 fat. <laughs> and in my sleepy haze, I thought it must have been one of the other guys out to relieve himself. <laughs> and I rolled over to go back to sleep. I snapped awake again when I heard the stove fall over, and I reached for my torch. Climbed out of my sleeping bag and to took to, to took to look out at what had happened. My thirst my first thoughts were that one of the guys had tripped over in the dark. But when I shone my torch at the stove, which had been knocked off its metal stand, both were laying on the ground, but no sign of either of the guys. I was trying to work out what had happened and scanned with the torchlight around and couldn't see a thing. 
But just as I retreated back into my tent, about to zip it up, I heard some strange clicking sounds out in the dark and shone the torch out again. In a split second, I was about I was absolutely startled as the torchlight picked up a huge, dark, hairy creature standing upright and motionless by the creek, crossing about 60 feet away. I was star- it was staring directly at me. I panicked and felt great fear of, ma- of this massive, scraggly-looking thing. And I shouted out to keep the guy... To- and I shouted out to the guys and scrambled to get out of the tent and attempt keeping the light on the creature. I heard Dave and Michael come bursting out of their tents. And just as they did, I heard some strange clicking sound again. To my left, and the creature turned to gaze swiftly from me to its right, and I immediately heard crashing in the bushes off to our left. They're surrounding us! <laughs> Where I shone the torch, I couldn't pick up anything in the bush, and I shouted to Dave to look over there. He had shown a torch in the direction. Michael yelled out, It's over here! And Dave's torch pinned around, panned around and picked up something large disappearing into the tree by the creek and making a really noisy crash sound as it moved away from us. David shouted back, or Dave shouted, What the hell is that? I immediately shone my torch back at the, where I originally saw the creature and caught it disappearing and, it sp- and sped away from us down the path to the causeway on all fours in a really, really weird spider-like movement like nothing I'd ever seen. Hmm. I was frantic and started to shake by this stage, saying to Dave, we have to get out of here now. I tried to explain what I saw. A massive hairy creature standing on two legs and looking right at me. I was so fearful and confused at what I had just seen. I insisted on packing up and leaving, and the guys agreed. We feverishly pulled our tents apart, loaded up our bikes, and sped off into the night. My adrenaline levels began to settle down as we finally approached the town of Wooliga at daybreak. The growing dark, the daylight eased our demeanor as we discussed and took stock of what had happened. A couple things on that one. Uh... Are there bears in Australia? Not that I know of. Koala bears. <laughs> there are no species of bear in Australia. Because that sure sounded like when it described the spider-like movement and stuff. Yeah. Like a like a bear. Now, now do you think there's multiple ones or is it just moving really fast in I circles? I think there's multiple ones in that one. Around I think its there camp. was like at least two. Isn't that something primates do? Like they'll start circling? Especially when they've, I know dogs will do it yeah, when they kinda. have prey. I mean, not necessarily that they're hunting them, but they have drop bears. Yeah. Oh, there's more to it too. So yeah, there's no bears, but that definitely, when he talked about it, uh, the weird spider-like movement made me think of a bear. Oh, there is more. Yeah. Oh, apparently I didn't scroll far enough. Because I was thinking, like, chimpanzees will kind of do that as well. Yeah. They'll move, like, kind of with their arms in the weird movement. 
yeah. when they're like moving side so to side and stuff. Yeah, they're like crab walking. When I think back about what I had seen, there are three things that really terrify me. Firstly, it was the sheer size of this thing. I work as a vet and deal with cattle and horses all the, of all sizes. And this thing was out of this world by size and easily nine or 10 feet tall with shaggy, scraggly hair, but looked muscular. The second, the second, the second thing, (laughs) the second thing, (laughs) which probably was the most terrifying for me was the look from the creature. I had the impression that it was seriously assessing me and it looked sort of calculating. There was an intelligence in this creepy animalistic face and this scared the hell out of me. The last thing was how it moved when I caught it disappearing into the night. Its movement on its arms and legs was unnatural and almost mechanical, like this weird or wire like a wired up and down movement weird oh, up weird. and down movement of its limbs as it qual- qualled <laughs> Crawled quickly into the darkness. <laughs> this was so weird. We reckon that there were two of them, which is what we glimpsed off to our left and crashed over the creekside brush when Michael's shown the light at it. I never, I've never seen any animal move this way, and I hope to never see it again. Read the next two lines as well. Thank you to John at Wowie Sightings for taking the time to listen to us and checking out the site. We will not be going back anytime soon. This is the second person to describe like intelligence behind the eyes. Yeah. It's also in almost the exact same like location mm-hmm. as the first story you read. Well, yeah. think about like at the zoo because this is the only place we're going to see like apes, great apes here. And when, especially the orangutans at our zoo, they tend to sit right up at the glass and just kind of stare at you and watch you. Yeah. And there's intelligent and intelligence in their eyes. Yeah. So I'm kind of imagining that same thing from these yowies. The gorillas too, but the gorillas at our zoo don't tend to sit right at the glass. They tend to be running around and. Yeah, usually like wrestling and yeah. stuff like that. They're very active. But the orangutan usually just sitting there watching us. Yeah. There's usually at least one right there. And I didn't I didn't even know they could see us. I thought it was like a two way glass where all they saw was a mirror. No, they can see us. Oh. So they're not just watching themselves. All right. The article says Ian gave us a great description of this Yowie sighting. When I asked him about the clicking sounds he heard, he said it was a similar sound to a clicking noise we could make with our tongues pressed against the roof of our mouth. He believes this was some type of communication between the two creatures. We did a thorough location investigation for this post to get a good understanding of the environment the Yowies were observed in. We have had several other reports in this region. This particular location is nestled between two forests and watercourses run through the area, which has few inhabitants. And traffic being basically grazing country for cattle, 
We believe this area bounded by Glimbar National Park to the east, Gigguman State Forest, and Gronga National Park to the west provide the perfect habitat for these mostly nocturnal creatures and supported by the continuing reports from the region. Yowie sightings, Yowie sighting reports published on our bloggers provided as is. We don't publish reports received until we have interviewed the witness or witnesses either in person, email, or by phone. That was another thing, the clicking sound. Yeah. That popped into my head and then immediately Crocodile Dundee popped into my head. Because that tribe that he's with yeah. communicated through clicking sounds. Yeah. And that popped into my head. Was it Peoples? Now, part of their folklore is that these things are tribal. Yeah. And, so, and some of the other folklore, they were like, they would be rival tribes at times. So I guess it would make sense they would develop their own sort of language. Yeah. They speak Latin. Especially if they're nocturnal. They wouldn't see as well. And they did, then they don't see as well in the dark. They have to rely on their voice and their hearing and stuff. Yeah. On to the next. This next one takes place two months later in November 2020. Joseph Zarefa had been driving on a dirt road on the edge of the Wongi State Forest in the Dungal District, Queensland, Australia, at dusk when he pulled over to see why his engine was overheating. What happened next incredibly spooked him into fleeing the area. The following is Joseph's account as he presented it in our initial interview. I was driving on a dirt road on the edge of the Wongi State Forest to a friend's house at Gungaloon very late in the day when I noticed my car temperature gauge had gone right up to the red. I pulled over and stopped straight away to see why the engine was overheating. Realizing I needed to find some water, I decided to take a short walk back to the causeway. I had just driven over and filled some water bottles. On the last trip down to the creek, I had just stood up and was looking around the the creek creek, when I noticed (laughs) a small glowing ball of light hovering over the creek, about 60 feet or so away. It was just as dark, it was just at dusk and I could see and I could still see plenty of detail in the surrounding bush. I thought I first thought it was someone coming along the creek wearing one of those helmet torches as the creek wasn't full and a person could walk alongside a lot could walk along inside the bank of the creek. Something I had done myself on many Wongi State forest walks. As I watched, I could see it was just a bluey-purple glowing orb hovering over the stage. Hovering and stationary. I really started to look hard, and the strange thing was, 
that although it was glowing, it didn't seem to light up the surrounding ground and bush or reflect in the water as brilliantly as it should have for its brightness. I must have been staring at this for a good minute or two, trying to see what it really was. And then it moved very smoothly to the left and disappeared behind the tree lying in the creek. It couldn't, I couldn't see it anymore. I thought there must have been a wongy camping area over there or s- with some campers walking around. At this, at this point, I went back up to the ute with my thermos of water. Excuse me, what was that word? Ute? Did you say ute? <laughs> you remember that movie? <laughs> with my thermos of water and thought about the strange light. Back at the ute, I decided to wait another few minutes for the engine to really cool down before I started it again. I had lit up a smoke and was leaning on the fence post of the cattle paddock I had pulled up at, looking into the paddock towards the old abandoned farmhouse in the distance. I could see something moving in the direction of the house, which I first thought was a cow. I didn't pay much attention. I looked away from the house and then glanced back to see what I thought was a cow standing upright on two legs. What? I immediately thought, who is that? Because what I just, what I was seeing now was someone standing up like a person and big. The light was pretty, getting pretty dim, but I was concentrating on the standing figure. I couldn't make out any clothes, just dark colored and the arms and legs. My first impression was this person must have been in dark overalls, but his head was the same dark color. I was a bit startled at the stage at this stage and wondered what person was doing crawling over the ground on all fours in the first place. I kept staring and then noticed the figure turn around when I caught some movement off to my left. Now I could see a similar shaped dark figure, much bigger and moving on two legs in a fairly slow motion towards the first figure I saw. This second figure looked as tall as someone standing on another person on their shoulders. But I got a good sense of a really big torso and other features I noticed which was freaking me which really freaked me out was very long arms absolutely spooked now but I still didn't have the any idea what I was seeing just that my senses were telling me something wasn't right as I continued to watch the larger figure got almost to the smaller one and then stopped suddenly I could see his body turned in my direction. I thought whatever I was looking at was now looking in my direction and could probably see me even in the failing light. Do I run to the car or stay still? I was asking myself as a little panic was taking hold. I came to the realization I wasn't looking at a couple of humans at all. But both these figures seem to now be staring in my direction. I was saying to myself, 
They can't see me. I'm behind a fence post. How tall is the fucking fence post? But then I realized that there was a slight breeze blowing from my position into the paddock. Whatever they could smell, whatever they were, could smell me, I thought. I instinctively glanced back over the car at this point, which was about 30 feet away. When I looked back towards the old house, I just glimpsed a very, the very large figure walk out of view behind the old house. My mind was racing now. I stared intensely, expecting these two figures to reappear on the opposite side of the house. I watched and watched, and I didn't see any further movement. I couldn't hear a thing. It was getting too dark by this stage, and I started to think that maybe I missed seeing the two figures reemerge, or maybe they were standing out of view, or maybe they'd both crawled back towards the bush beside the creek where they came from. This was way too much for me, and feeling very unsafe, I turned and sprinted back to my ute, started the engine, and hoped like hell my radiator hose repair would hold. I fled at a that's and blah, blah, blah. I fled at a speed along the dirt road, as I certainly did not want to get stuck out in the forest and darkness, just having been incredibly spooked by something really strange. I managed to make it safely to my destination, and told my friends about the really strange incident. I was amazed to hear one of my friends talk about a similar sighting that was just told to him. Apparently on the same road. Every very early in the morning and not far from where I had pulled up. A couple of people stopped and when they saw two large dark brown hairy creatures go across the road. The creatures were about 70 meters ahead of them and then disappeared into the bush. I heard about yaois over these years but never given it a second thought. I'm sure what I was looked I'm sure what I looked at was two yaois now. I have ha- I've had time to talk to people and do a bit of research myself. I have no idea what that glowing light was. It's really fascinating. There's like a glowing light along with this thing. That's not uncommon with Bigfoot sightings here. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Especially ones, uh, I'd say, more around the 1940s and 50s and 60s. Yeah. It's kind of hit and miss whether they have one nowadays well you know my family had one in the late 80s yeah they thought they'd seen themselves a wear cow for a minute (laughs) (laughs) all right the next one takes place in april 2022 the remote muna creek locality is split between the gimpy and fraser coast regions in queensland the area is sparsely populated but has several regional roads. Bopawaluga Road, Maryborough Brigandon Road, and Bruini Wulugu Road, connecting the coastal strip to Brigandon and Kilcavan townships. The total population of Muna Creek is 23 according to the 2016 census. Muna Creek itself meanders its way through several national parks starting its journey in the mountains of Mount Walsh National Park and Boompa State Forest, then passing through sections of Glenbar State Forest and National Park, and continuing through sections of the Meva State Forest before reaching the Mary River. 
Late in the evening of April 5th of 2022, Paula Hazel was driving from Maryboro, Queensland, inward to Orbiginton to meet up with some friends. As Paula reached the T-Bar area, she noticed her car had a problem and stopped on the side of the road. She had a life-changing encounter. This is Paula's account of what happened that night. Wait a sec here. This is like the second person who's had car trouble all of a sudden in an area where there's these yaoi figures. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. I decided to drive to Biggenden from Maryboro to see some family and had left later than I expected, which meant I would be driving in the dark. I finally left Maryboro at about 7.30 p.m. and headed off through Maryboro West along the Maryboro Briggington Road. The road is a rural road and is generally quiet with little traffic at this time of night. And I have driven this road many times over the years without incident. About 40 minutes into my trip, I glanced down at my dash and I could see the temperature gauge was really high and almost in the red. Same kind of car trouble. Mm. That's, that's interesting. I had driven about a kilometer or so past the, the Muna Creek Bridge and got out, torch in hand, to look under the bonnet. To my relief, there was no sign of any steam, but I thought there must have been a problem with the radiator. So I grabbed a towel out of the boot and proceeded to check the radiator for water. As I thought, the water had leaked out and a gush of steam exited as I removed the radiator cap. I had some water with me, but I decided to let the car cool down for a bit before filling it back up. I went around the back of the car to tidy some things in the boot. I, I just want to point out here, that's very dangerous. Don't ever open a radiator up when the a vehicle's hot. overheating. Yeah, That stuff can scald you terribly bad, like instantly. It was strangely quiet, and I couldn't hear cows or frogs. It was just still, but I remember thinking how peaceful it was. I potted around for 20 minutes or so and decided to empty water, the water container into the radiator and see if it could get going again. I had only finished emptying the last of the water bottle when I heard a loud movement along with a deep and brief huff sound in the bush behind me in front of my vehicle. I, it took me by surprise because up until that point, it had been extremely quiet, and I had been making all the noise. I turned looking to expect to see a bull or, as there were cattle pastures all around. Couldn't make out anything, and I grabbed my torch and shone it up along the road to where the noise was coming from. As I panned the torchlight back into the bush, I got a shock of my life and became instantly scared witless. I was so scared that what I was seeing, I began to shake and drop my torch in an ensuing panic. My torch was illuminating a hugely tall, dark, hairy monster of, of a creature, and I couldn't believe the thickness of the thing. Just massive. <laughs> Standing on two legs like a human, its hair looked dark and had reddish-brown tint. Its face was also dark, but more grayish. It looked leathery. Its eye sockets were huge, and I thought I could see a sort of opaque, reddy-colored glow from the darkness of its eyes. 
Its face really freaked me out. I grabbed the torch off the ground and aimed it straight back at the bush, and then I almost screamed as I saw its eyes blink in the torchlight. It just stood still, standing, looking straight at me with its long arms hanging motionless by its side. I was frozen, unable to move. My mind was racing and my heart thumping so hard trying to comprehend what I was seeing. I was feeling a sense of dread, but I managed to move backwards towards the car door in an instant. I was in the seat and started the car, which was such a great relief. I dropped my torch again and I flattened the accelerator and sped off sped off the gravel onto the road. My last sight of the creature was in the periphery of my car lights watching me as I sped away. I drove furiously along the road for some time before I got the grip of myself and settled down and finally made it into Biggington. I've never been so scared and shocked. You know, there's that theory that Bigfoot is associated with uh, other paranormal activities, UFOs, aliens, and all that. Yeah. This Yowie encounters with the the same problem with the vehicles leads me to think something like that. Yeah, particularly because, I mean, like I was saying, once a car goes up in the red, if you try to take off that radiator cap, I mean, it's going to explode and fluid's going to just go everywhere. It's going to dump all its contents. Yeah. And because that didn't happen, it leads me to believe that maybe there's something wrong with the instrument instead of the radiator itself. Yeah, like a thermostat malfunction or something. Yeah. And one thing I was thinking of with it being hanging out with all these cows that's going to hide evidence of excrement and stuff. Because people are just going to go by and be like, oh, that's just cow shit. It sounds like Paula got a really good look at its face. But she doesn't describe the eyes as intelligent at all like others have. Yeah. She definitely describes more of like gorilla eyes. Yeah. And then what were those... What were those colors? Like a ready, a ready, a ready colored glow from the darkness of its eyes. Hmm, interesting. With like a grayish, leathery looking face. Which sounds gorilla-ish. Yeah, it sounds gorilla-ish. And I was looking up on my phone when we were taking a break, and people don't, it doesn't seem like people are allowed to like, own these things, like own gorillas or chimpanzees privately. Like zoos and things can. But I don't think it's like a case where like in Florida where most of the skunk apes can be dismissed as people that just got tired of their chimpanzee and just let it run off to the forest, you know? Yeah. Plus, I don't know of any gorilla that's over seven feet tall. No. I mean, that would be big for a gorilla. Yeah. Hmm. Maybe six feet. Yeah. But I don't see them being much taller than that. So I don't know if an escaped animal would fit in any of this, but... <sighs> um. Okay, in January of 2021, a truck driver encountered a large Yowie animal on the Klagoa Creek Bridge in Calgoa, Queensland. 
Calgoa is a sparsely populated rural district in the Fraser Coast region of Queensland, Australia. Uh, and here is the account as told to us by the truck driver, Peter Hartgers. I was driving my truck north of Wooliga, Broguina Road at distant dusk. I was pleased to be in a clear of an incredibly rough washboard dirt section of the road and back in Butman. I just started sipping some tea from my thermos when a car approached way in the distance. I dipped my lights as it came closer. As the car got nearer, its lights began flickering to high beams continuously as if I left my lights on high beam. The flickering continued, so I just flicked my lights to let the driver know I wasn't on high beam. But the car lights kept flickering on and off high beam, so I slowed to see if they needed help. But as the car passed by, I looked down into the car to see the driver furiously motion with his right hand back down the road. A bit strange, I thought, and I continued a little slower than I would normally drive, anticipating some cattle on the road. Which is quite common here, as it's open grazing country, with no fences. I had not long passed the car, and up ahead I could see something run along the side of the road. Which I thought initially was a cow. But to my amazement, it was a deer. Now, in all the years I've driven this road, I've never seen a deer. The deer darted from one side of the road to the other as if it were confused by my lights, and I rolled past it without incident, thinking this must have been why the car had been flickering its lights. It was certainly was a surprise to see. That's like an everyday occurrence driving down the roads here. <laughs> and it sounds like this the person in this car never reported this to this website either, so there's probably tons of other sightings that never made it on here. I continued for a bit and came around the bend leading down to the Caligon Creek Bridge where my lights picked up something moving on the other side of the bridge. I couldn't make out what it was at first. As I was looking at the bridge between a couple of large trees, but as I came off the bend, I had a clear view of the bridge ahead. And I instantly thought it was someone walking on the bridge. I was thinking who would be walking out in the dark. As I never see people on this road walking in the daytime, let alone night. It's too remote. I had to stop before a couple of signs about 40 meters from the bridge. As it was the only lane. In a split second, I was now confronted by an unbelievable sight. My headlights were illuminating an incredibly huge two-legged hairy animal creature, which is the only way I could describe it, standing in the other end of the bridge and looking straight at my truck. I couldn't fully comprehend what I was seeing, and I was completely gobsmacked at what was on the bridge. The creature was massive, covering a very dark, short, copper-colored hair and really long arms that looked too long 
and I could see some dark skin evident around the face and chest. I sat motionless as the creature continued to stare and began to slowly move from foot to foot. I began to feel really uneasy, and I hate to say it, but I was genuinely scared out of my skin. I just couldn't believe the sheer size of this thing that had human-like features and its hands and face. In its hands and face. With big eyes and huge mouth, somewhat human-like, but absolutely not human. This thing would have been all of nine feet tall and easily as tall as my cabin. So I widened and so wide at the shoulders, probably three times as wide as or more as me. I couldn't easily reverse back and I thought this thing would be on my sec- on me in a second. It was so huge as my feeling of insecurity ramped up. All I had in the truck was a large hunting knife, and I felt it would be of no use against something that large. I was just about to lock my doors, and the creature turned quickly and looked to its, its left as if it had been distracted, and then took a weird step towards the bridge edge, leaning down on one hand, and swiftly launched its huge body over the side and disappeared into the darkness below. It would have been a good 30-foot drop to the creek below, and this thing just jumped over it like it was stepping over a small fence. I just sat transfixed on the scene in front of me and watched, trying to comprehend what had just occurred. occurred. It was incredible. I decided to roll over the bridge And as I approached where the creature jumped over, I peered into the darkness of the creek below. I couldn't even, I couldn't see or hear anything. I wasn't game to shut down the engine, so I continued on feeling shaken and extremely confused state of mind. I reckon the car driver I passed earlier must have seen what I'd seen, and I wondered if anyone else had seen the strange creature, which I now know must have been a yowie. Oh. He's a troll. That's his bridge. <laughs> yeah, it's the troll. Oh my yeah, nine feet tall. All right, this next one is April 2021. Julie lives on a rural property near the township of Goomery in the South Burnett region of Queensland, Australia. She has had at least one Yowie frequent her property in recent times and caused concern for her and her young son's safety. This is Julie's report she gave to YowieSightings.com. I live in a fairly big rural property with my husband and eight-year-old son. My husband is a fly-in, fly-out worker in the mining industry, and he's always in another state for a period of time leaving just my, me, my son, Tim, and our cattle dog, horse, horse, and some cattle at the property. I love the serenity of our place, and our nearest neighbors are a few kilometers away. Or should I say, I loved the serenity until recently. One of my son's favorite things to do in the afternoon is going for walks through the brush, through the bush, with me and our old cattle dog checking out the dams, looking for animals like gonas, 
Is that Goanna? I don't know. I've Goannas, never even heard of that. Goannas, pigs and birds, etc. we have on the property. In recent times, I began hearing some strange sounds in the bush. When we have been returning later in the evening, which I didn't pay much attention to, some of the sounds were like a deep, single deep huff. And having cattle on the property. Oh, giant lizard. Yeah. And having cattle on the property, I just thought it was them, although it sounded much deeper. I also noticed something moving in the bushes behind us on several occasions as we were walking back to the house. When I would have would stop to look back in the shrub behind us, the movement and crunching of brush would stop and then begin again when we continued walking. I thought this must have been a single cow as this is the only thing that would disturb the bush like that. We are used to hearing different sounds from animals in the bush. When this continued on several of our hikes, I became really inquisitive and at no stage felt any fear as we have never had anything to be fearful of out here. On one of our walks, we were heading back home and the movement in the bushes behind us began again. I said to Tom, let's go and see what's back there. On this occasion, our cattle dog had stayed on by our side Whereas usually in his way ahead, he's way ahead and beats us home. We started to walk back along the track where we were hearing the bush moving. I noticed our dog was not with us, but was standing on the track back where we turned around. No amount of coaching would get him to move. And the more I tried to coax him, the more anxious and submissive he looked. He did not want want to come down to us. I thought he must have been he must have hurt himself. So we walked back to them, back to him. And just as we did, we heard the shrub behind us erupt like a big bull running through. Although it wasn't galloping you hear when the cattle's running. Tim and I both looked back to see all the kerfuffle, what all the kerfuffle was. And we didn't see anything. We turned it head back to our dog or turned to head back to find our dog had gone. We eventually found him back at home on the veranda. Whew. Sounds like the dog's safe. It was... It was while this was happening, my son started to wake me on several nights distraught and saying that a big black face was looking in his window. He did not want to stay in his room even though I would take him back in, look at the window, and tell him nothing was there. I just dismissed it as a fantasy. He'd been watching shows on TV about monkeys and like, and the like, and I thought he had been dreaming about this. Tim's bedroom window would be a good six and a half feet off the ground due to the house being on stumps. And on one of the largest, or one of the last occasions he told me about this, I went around the house to his window the next morning. I couldn't see how anyone could be looking in there being the height, that height off the ground. But I did notice the ground was disturbed with some deepest depressions, but nothing really, really made me, but nothing really made me think someone was standing there. Then on one evening, we were sitting 
at our dinner table when we heard the dog barking way off in the distance. It was really going crazy and was disturbing me. I immediately went out on our veranda and could see, couldn't see our dog. And the terrible barking stopped. Suddenly, everything was quiet. Our dog always stayed out on the veranda until myself and Tim went to bed because he was old and we let him stay inside in our laundry. He had never run off into the night and no matter how much I called, there was no sign of him. I was beginning to get a little spooked at the circumstances and decided I would go and search for our dog in the morning if he didn't come back. Early the next morning, I couldn't find our dog anywhere around our house or sheds, so I headed out on my own to see if I could make sense of where he had gone. He had disappeared on one occasion a few years ago when he did run off during the day chasing kangaroos through the bush. When he didn't come back, I eventually found him and caught up, caught up in barbed wire on one of our fences. He had tried to run through. His collar got snagged by some wire, and he was sitting there panting, waiting to be rescued, much to my amusement. I continued to look through the bushes along the tracks, and I began to feel very uneasy as I approached one of our dams. As I walked through the trees along the side of the dam, I was scanning my view across the opposite, across the opposite side. I instantly became very frightened. Across the dam, stand, dam standing almost the, amongst the trees in the dapple sunlight, but in full view, was the most gigantic hairy animal. It was standing like a statue on two legs, and, gazed, and the, its gaze was directly at me. I grabbed the tree beside me in shock. I could see the breeze moving the dark brown hair that covered the animal, and it stood absolutely still. My mind was racing at this stage. I'm thinking, is my son okay back at the house? I'm thinking, do I try to run back to the house? I felt I was in grave danger. It would not be able to outrun this huge creature, which would have been at least eight to nine feet tall. I began to feel very ill and continued staring intently. Some of the sunlight was on the animal and I could see its hands. I could see its chest skin through the hair and I could see the darkish broad face. I was shaking and tears began to roll down my face at this stage. I was saying to myself, how, saying to myself, how could this be? I was frozen with fear trying to decide what to do. It all became too much for me, and I turned and bolted back towards the house, bawling my eyes out in sheer terror as I ran through the bush. I ran the entire 500 or 600 meters back to the house, got inside, locked the doors, and found my son watching TV. I sat beside him in tears, and I immediately rang my husband and blubbered, blubbered out what had just happened. He was so confused as me and... And we agreed to get our neighbor, Jeff, to come over, which he did, thankfully. Jeff looked startled as I described what I had just seen. And he asked, could I have mistaken the creature for a horse? But he soon stopped this line of discussion when he saw how distraught I was. I told Jeff where I had seen the creature, and he agreed to take a look, armed with his rifle. When he returned, he explained how he looked around the dam and found 
what he thought was a collection of very large partial footprints that looked like they had toes. He said the width of the toe impressions were about as wide as two normal feet together. Tim, I, Tim and I stayed with Jeff and his wife that night and the next. After I shared the family with, after I shared this with my family and some further discussion, we now believe we saw a Yowie. I now believe I saw a Yowie, something I had no idea of until now. As wide as two normal feet together. It's a big toe. Yeah. That would be pretty terrifying, though. I want to find out about the dog. What happened to the dog? Well, the article continues. We thank Julie for her report and the detail leading up to her sighting. Julie explained to us she plans to move away from the area as soon as possible, as she doesn't feel safe at the property on her own. Incidentally, Julie has not found her dog. Oh, no. Dumb meowie probably hurt a dog. Or the dog just ran away. Yeah, that could have happened too. Saw the yowie and freaked out and took off. And I think at that point too, being a lone female with your son, the thought of an animal and or is it a human would both be scary. Neither of which are supposed to be there. Mm Mm-hmm. But yeah, you could check out that website, Yowie Sightings. They're shoot all over Australia. There's a bunch we uh, didn't get to that happened later in 2021, and it seems like there's more being added all the time. It kind of reminds me of the Bigfoot Research Organization. Yeah. They're very dedicated to this work, it seems, and they go out and do investigations where they can make plaster casts. Um, I didn't really get a chance to look at their site to see if they're like working on any like DNA analysis or anything like that, but I'm sure they probably are. Most of those organizations are. Mm-hmm. Well, this is actually really interesting and it's fun to kind of get away from the United States and cover some a cryptid from somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. I think the last one we did was what? Loch Ness? Oh, surely we've done some since then. I think that was the last one we did that's in another country. Anything else has been here. Hmm. Maybe it has. I can't think of anything anywhere else. Surely we've covered stuff in England. I don't think we have. Not since... I think we covered the owl. Owl man. But that was what... Episode two. <laughs> oh, yeah. So I don't know. We'll have to look. If you live in another country and you've got some really cool cryptid or paranormal area that you want us to research, send it our way. We'll be happy to do it. Um, because, yeah, we live in the United States, so we hear a lot about the United States cryptids and paranormal stuff, but. As for other countries, we don't really hear a whole lot about it. What about the Babagazi? The Babagazi also in is the, the United States, too. Yeah. Maybe that was before we did Loch Ness. No, that was before the... Was Nessie in the second battle? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I don't remember. But around those times, those are probably the last two. Yeah. 
But thank you for covering this topic for us, Dave. Thank you all the listeners for listening to us. And be sure to check out our Facebook, Instagram, and Discord servers all at UMP Normalcy. You can also check us out on Patreon, patreon.com slash UMP Normalcy. And you can always send us an email at umpnormalcy at gmail.com. And I think that's all. I think that's going to do it for tonight. So until next time. Keep digging. Yahweee. Unearthing Paranormalcy is a part of the Green Mushroom Podcast Network. To hear more great independent productions like the one you just listened to, visit our catalog 